We carry on with our theme in, in Matthew, and there are actually um, three things that the Lord is seeking to accomplish as Matthew records his life for us. He's trying to record the fact that he is the Messiah. As a matter of fact, he is the Messiah. He's also trying to e- equip, equip his disciples so that um, they can then carry on the work after he's gone. So a lot of the miracles that he does, he does in their presence so that they can come to understand who he is. Now, if he is the Messiah, and that's what Matthew is trying to manifest to us, if he is the Messiah, the third thing we must come to understand is, is that he has to rule over all. He has to be sovereign God. And so we see this in the development of Matthew in the very beginning, that he fulfills the credentials in his birth. We see that uh, even in the silent years, God was protecting him as he went down into Egypt. We see that he's being protected at his birth when Herod tried to kill all of the young children. He was protected there. But then when he started his public ministry and he was baptized, we hear the affirmation from heaven itself. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. He then moves into his public ministry in the sense of this marvelous three chapters that we have called the Sermon on the Mount. And in the Sermon on the Mount, he is clarifying, teaching, distinguishing between those who tried to have their religion born of their own abilities and that which only comes from God. Because the standard is much higher than man could achieve apart from God's help. That's the only way it will ever be accomplished. And then he begins to demonstrate that he has power over sickness, he has power over death, he has power uh, over nature, and today we discover that he has power over demonic forces and also has power over sin. Now, if the fact of the matter is, if God, Jesus Christ, is not the absolute authority of the universe, and there is someone equal or greater than him, then we're in trouble because that the, the, the future hangs in the balance of who's going to win, you know, right or wrong, good or evil. And I know some movies uh, are built on that theme and they try to leave you into suspense as to what's really going to transpire. I really don't like those kind of movies because I don't think there is any suspense here. I don't like any movie that tries to associate evil with good. God is absolutely good. He's absolutely holy. He's absolutely all-powerful, almighty God. And as such, he is ruler of even all demonic forces. And, and I love what he says, you know, I, uh, Peter tells about the Satan goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And John tells us greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. We know where the power is. We know where our authority rests. But sometimes when we listen to the horizontal voices that are out there, it leads us into believing that, well, is our God truly the God that he says he is, without question? The things that must be conquered are these enemies, Satan, and furthermore, the second thing we see in the second passage there in the ninth chapter is that our sins must be dealt with. 
I love that thought that uh, when we've been set free from our sins, we're free indeed. We're free. Jesus Christ paid the full price for our sin on the cross. And when it talks about him being the one who forgives sin, he addresses our greatest need. So these are the themes that we want to look at. And when we think about um, Satan and our first thoughts here, when we think about Satan, there are several schools of thought out there about him. Uh, some believe that, um, that he is, um, doesn't exist. And this has all just been conjured up by mankind to create an element of fear so that we can manipulate people to do what we want. And so they have, they have no sense of awareness of Satan. And then there's a second school of thought, and that is that Satan is everywhere doing everything. There's a Satan under every rock. He is not omnipresent. He is not all-powerful. Now, he has has his uh, demons that do a lot of work for him, but he is not. I I don't think, uh, I think what happens in that thought is that we get preoccupied with Satan and we leave as our central focus, which it should be, Jesus Christ. We should be focused on on Christ. So we see then that when we think of uh, Satan, that he is um, everywhere or he's nowhere. And then the third group are those that actually worship Satan. There are people that have committed their lives to follow what John says in John eight forty four: you are of your father the devil and the lust of your father you will do. He was a liar and a murderer. And he doesn't have any truth in him. When he speaks, it speaks a lie. But there are those who have literally committed themselves over to Satan. They are Satan worshipers. And we're certainly going to see that in the end time when people see the miracles of God, the judgments of God, and rather than bow down their knee to God, which one day they will, rather than bow down, they pray for the rocks to crush the life out of them, but they do not want to submit to God, and they follow then the voice of their father, Satan himself. So when we address this issue of demons, as the Lord is right here, and we'll get into that passage, we just need to back up a little bit to understand some of the strategy of Satan, the origin of Satan. And we see some of this recorded for us in the 12th chapter of Revelation. We see where demons originate. In the 12th chapter of Revelation, verse 7, and there was a war in heaven, Michael, and his angels waging war with dragons, with the dragon. The dragon and his angels waged war. So there was a division in heaven and there were some, we're going to talk about how that came about in a moment, and there were the angelic led by angelic forces led by Michael, and then there were some who were following the dragon. And uh, they were not strong enough, and there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. And the great dragon, and we're referring to Satan here, was thrown down, and the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan, who deceived the whole world, he was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. So there was a following. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, 
Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of God and the authority of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren have been thrown down. He who accuses them before God day and night and they overcame him because of the blood of the lamb and because of the word of their testimony and they did not love their life even when faced with death. For this reason rejoice, O heaven, And you who dwell in them, woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, knowing that he he has only a short time. There's a lot to be said about Satan here. We're not going to deal with all of this, but we do know certainly certain things about him. We do know that he abode in heaven at one point, that he rebelled against God at another point. There was a great war that took place. And There was, he was thrown out of heaven. In fact, the downward spiral of Satan is from heaven to earth to hell. Three steps in his demise in that. We know that he's an accuser of the brethren. That means he wants to go about and have you believe that either one, you're not a Christian or not living up to the standards. In other words, he accuses. Aren't you thankful, as John says, that we have an advocate one who stands for us when the accuser is making accusations against us. And he says to the father, those very things are the reason I died. This is why we have overcome. And we see then that there is a group of following these angels that followed Satan, a very influential angel, of course. They would influence others. These angels then are two classifications, Jude and uh, Second Peter tells us that there are some of these fallen angels that have been held in captivity and they're waiting for the ultimate judgment that will come. There are another set of demons or these angels that are doing the bidding of Satan today who are loose and free. These are the very ones that we address in the passage that we're looking at this morning. So where did all of this come about? Where did Satan go wrong? He was there in heaven He was uh, a delightful position that he had in terms of that. But where did he go wrong? Well, there are some passages that we can look at that you should be familiar with, and we want to address those. One of those is, and there's two passages in the Old Testament that address Satan and what went wrong. Ezekiel 28. Now, may have have you understand something here. It begins in verse 11 here. In Ezekiel 28 and also Isaiah chapter 14, they are, uh, the Lord is, uh, the, the prophet is talking about earthly things, but suddenly the information that is being given about this earthly king has catapulted far beyond what could ever be true of an earthly king. And what we're finding there is prophetic statements that are being made about Satan about who he is. Now, this is often happens. We see that even with the announcement of the birth of Christ. A virgin shall be with child. We're talking about the Christ child. There was some historical evidence that was given there, but it catapulted itself far beyond to the fulfillment in Christ. So here in Ezekiel 28, verse 11, he talks about Satan. Again, the word of the Lord came to me. Now, this is Ezekiel that is speaking, saying, Son of man... Take up a lamentation over the king of Tyre and say to him, Thus saith the Lord God, You had the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. 
Every precious stone was your covering. He lists these, the ruby, the topaz, the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, the sapphire, the lapis lazuli. I don't have any of those stones, so I don't know how to say turquoise and the emerald. And the gold and the workmanship of your settings and the sockets was in you. On the day that you were created, on the day you were created, so Satan is not an eternal being. He was created by God, and he's subject to God. We certainly see that. I mean, we see that um, uh, there's not an equal power here, and God can use Satan as he chooses. Remember, it was in the book of Job that... um, Satan came, and they were there with all of the gathering before God, and he was going about. And he said, well, have you considered my servant Job? And there was a warfare that broke out about whether Job would continue to worship God. And uh, he said, well, the reason is, he says, you just won't let me touch his life. And he said, well, you can touch anything other than you can't take his life. But only he could only do that with permission. We see that even with the Apostle Paul in the in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 there, that a a thorn in the flesh was given, a a messenger of Satan was given to, and that was under the authority of God, given to Paul to keep him humble. So we see that he's a created being here in this process. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. You were anointed cherub who covers. And I placed you there. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked in the midst of the stones of fire. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created, again emphasizing that, until righteousness was found, until unrighteousness was found in you. And then it describes further on some of the things that he did. This is the origin of rebellion and evil in the universe right there. That one verse, until unrighteousness was found in you. So here we have Satan right there on the very holy mountain of God. Some have suggested from different verses and so forth that he was kind of the one who led the praise unto God and all the other angels that would worship God. And here he was, perfect, and then he rebelled against God. Now, we don't have to speculate as to what provoked this rebellion because we find it, and it if we'd have gone on there in Ezekiel, we find it in Isaiah chapter 14, beginning at verse 12 here. Here he says, How have you fallen from heaven, O star of morning, son of the dawn? You have been cut down to the earth, you who have weakened the nations, but you said in your heart, and these are the I wills of Satan, I will ascend to heaven. I will, I will raise my throne above the stars, and I, will set on, and I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the cloud. I will make myself like the Most High. Nevertheless, you will be thrust down to Sheol, to recesses of the pit. And here he says, now here we have it. I will ascend I will raise my throne, I will sit, I will ascend above the heights of the cloud. Ultimately, the summation is this, I will make myself like God. That is the driving passion of Satan. That's why we find in the New Testament, he parades around as an angel of light. 
And so this driving passion is that he wants to be worshipped as God. We find that in the argumentation that's going on, even in the temptation, when Jesus was being tempted by Satan. He wanted, he said, bow down. He said, all you have to, I'll give you all of this. Just, just bow down, you know, fall down to me. And that is what continues on to this very day. Now, the driving force behind this desire to be worshipped is the issue of pride. I want to be like God, and so he is driven by pride. By the way, that's uh, one of the things that uh, if you really, all of us have had those experiences where we feel a, a presence of evil. I'm not saying that's Satan. It could be a presence of demons or something. Uh, one of the things I would advise you to do is just break out in a few hallelujah courses unto God. Just start singing how great, like we sang this morning, how great our God is. And they don't want to stick around and listen to that. I mean, that's just the opposite of what they want to do. And I know we, we hear all kinds of things. You know, we, we're going to cast out demons. We're going to do this. Just start singing. Just start singing, you know, and it'll, it'll drive them crazy. All right. So we see then that Satan parades around as an angel of light. Now in the time of the New Testament that we're reading about here in the portion of scripture that was read for us, we're seeing then that it was not uncommon to be possessed by demonic spirits. And that brought great fear within people. We don't see in today's society in America although I believe that there is demonic possession that is going on, but not at the pronounced level that it was here. There's a little more subtlety that's going on today, I believe. But in this case, there was demonic spirits that had filled this individual. And fear was what was driving this whole thing behind the demons here. Our friend uh, who is now home in glory, uh, Dave Waters, who had a scientific mind, who was a, uh, a linguist and liked to figure things out. And the shaman in their village there where they were back in there who was the one who would heal people and cast spells and so forth, he, he really was curious about all that. That is, David was curious about all of that. And so he decided that by the invitation of the shaman that he would spend time with him one evening in, the, um, in his home. And uh, this shaman then was going through some of his incantations and processes there. And, and David said he began to sense something that wasn't good. And his scientific mind was beginning to slow down to, oh God, help me. <laughs> when they saw this shaman possessed by demons, levitated, and then thrown against the wall. And he says, and that's when David said, this this experiment is done. There are demons in the world, and they're active right now, and I don't want to be here. And he fled, he ran, because he was uh, actually afraid. Demons are real, and they can possess. I see nowhere in Scripture where demons can possess believers. I don't see that. I believe, though, that Christians can be oppressed by demons without question. Why would we be admonished in Ephesians chapter 6 
to put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand against. That means the armor implies that we can be attacked. And so we have to understand that demons can attack, Satan can attack, but cannot possess. And I, the reason I believe that is because I believe that I'm already, if, if possession means owned, then I am already owned by the blood of Christ. He's, he's mine and I'm his. And so I can't be, but I can be, I believe, influenced and oppressed. In fact, in that sixth chapter of Ephesians, we read about our struggle. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you will be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm, stand firm, therefore. So it is the expectation of God that we stand in the midst of this conflict that is going on around us. He says that same thing in John chapter 17 when there's the high priestly prayer there and he's talking about all that is transpiring in relationship to his disciples. He says, but now I come to you and these things I speak in the world so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of this world. Even as I'm not of this world, I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of this world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in your truth. There gives us it's one of our lines of a defense is truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also sent them into the world. For their sakes, I sanctify myself that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. He asked this, but to keep them from the evil one. So that means the evil one can and does attack us. And of course, even as it says in John 8, 44, you are of your father, the devil. That means that there are divisions there. Some are of God and some are of Christ. They say to you that that's how all of the world is divided, period. Either you're a follower of Satan or you're a follower of God. There is no middle ground there. There's no neutral ground. That's the only divisions that are there. So I, I don't believe that, although in my ministry, I may have encountered in one occasion in which there was uh, a demon possession there. I can't verify that for sure, uh, but it, it seemed that it fits some of the description that was going on here. I don't think many of you have ever encountered really demonic activity in the sense of possessing someone as it's described for us in this passage, which we'll look at. I believe Satan is conducting himself in a, um, a different way today. Same motive, but a different way. Now, as I see in Scripture, Satan always attacks what is the primary instrument of God. If you go to the garden, there you'll see the two enemies that we now have to face. You'll see that Satan is attacking God's primary instrument of creation, of revelation, the man and the woman, Adam and Eve. Then we see them as uh, later on in the Old Testament there when God chooses his people, that is the nation of Israel, and they'll become the ones who display the character of God and the 
headship of God, Satan begins to attack Israel. And then when Jesus arrives on the scene here in, um, in the New Testament, we find that even at his birth, under, through Herod, one of his uh, servants there, that is Satan's servants, he tries to kill all the two-year babies and younger. We see him tempting Jesus. We see him raising up opposition even to have Christ crucified. Actually, I think Satan, to a degree, believed when he was crucified, he had kind of won a battle. And the problem is he came out of the grave. When he came out of the grave, he was victorious. And not only that, but when he ascended and Christ dwells in all of us, at one time there was Christ in one, follow this with me, at one time there was Christ in one geographic location doing amazing things. And Jesus even said in regards, as they marveled at some of the things, he said, these things I do, greater than these you shall do. I don't think greater in value he's talking about there, greater in number. Now you have Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ abides within me. And Satan, thinking that he had gotten rid of Jesus Christ, had not. In fact, it multiplied over. He didn't win anything. In fact, he lost, and he knows he's lost. So how is it that if, and I believe the church is today, the primary instrument of God, this is what he's using, the church, Well, how is he attacking the church? Oh, my friends, it is so conspicuous. When men who call themselves men of God stand in pulpits in America and deny the virgin birth and deny the authority of the word of God and deny the redemptive plan of God, and and deny the deity of God and reduce what is going on in churches as only a psychological uh, man taking over his own possession to do his own thing, no dependency upon God. It becomes then a social service agency. It becomes a counseling agency and God is in his power are left out. I grieve, I grieve when I see um, influential figures, major denominations who will stand up. For example, one of the great battles that is going on today is in the area of, um, let's just name two of those battles. That is, one is in what is the sexuality? What is sexuality? Man and woman or We don't know what, don't even pronounce a gender upon anyone. Where's all that confusion going on? And I see that then being advocated from the pulpits, that they're not clearly defining what was pretty clear in the Old Testament that he made man and woman. And uh, and go on, and, and we see that even in the scriptures to rebel against that standard is a rebellion against God. And yet there are those who will advocate and in fact start churches with the basis of homosexuality being the basis of that. That's against God, my friends. It's just against God. And we get diluted in our conviction and our moral convictions about that because we're saturated by the media with a lie. Now you see, people want, and then they, then they want to silence people that will say things just as I said that God said, 
And they, they, they make me homophobic. I'm not. I, I, I have no difference in terms of a person who is homosexual, who has chosen, as we call it in neutral terms, an alternate lifestyle. I have no more opposition to them or no more uh, lack of compassion towards them than I would an alcoholic or, or, or a drug addict or, or one who is consumed with uh, arrogance or one who denies God. My, I have deep compassion for them. But I do not embrace what they're doing as a lifestyle defined by God in any of those areas. If you're a habitual liar, if you're filled with greed, those are contrary to what God has said in his word. And if we lose the pulpit as the sacred desk for the proclamation of how to live life, we've lost our bearings, friends. We've got to come to understand that. Please, that's not hate speech. And that's what they also say. Well, that's just hate speech. It's not hate speech at all. It's deep, broken compassion that I have for those who have been lost in that. And then the audacity. I mean, you're talking about that he was a liar and a murderer, talking about Satan? The major arena that he's winning the battle in that is with this whole issue of abortion. We won't even call what has taken place at conception a miraculous gift from God. We don't call it that. We don't even call it anything. It's just substance. I, you know, I've always said this. Well, let's just try to figure out what it is. Just leave it alone for nine months and let's see what happens. And the test is simple. I guess that was a human. And we have those who... Um, who distort the value of life. And I know who does that. This is not new. So the greatest platform that Satan is using today to lead people astray is um, the pulpits of America. It's his primary instrument. I'm gonna tell you, friends, I don't know if I'll live this long. It's changing pretty quickly. I don't know if I'll live this long, I may. But we're going to see that what I just said to you this morning, we classified as a crime. And I will be subject to prosecution. It'll happen. It'll happen. Now, and that may mean that uh, we may go to jail. And this whole thing about, you know, and this I get tired of. Well, they're going to take away your tax Status, your tax-free status, you know, 5013C. Take it. Who cares? You mean I'm supposed to bend my morals so I can get a tax break? As a church, friends, we better adjust to that, that we've already going to give that up. And I told somebody just the other day, I said, when they take it away from us, you know what's going to happen at Independent Bible Church? The giving will increase because war has been declared. Amen? Thank you. Now, when that happens, I hope you're still saying amen like that. <laughs> All right. So we're trying to see that there's a real battle that's going on, friends. I hope you are grasping that. But I want to come back then to our, our outline. All of that was introduction. People are thinking, oh, my. Oh, my. We're in trouble. 
Well, here we go, but I want you to look at your outline now. I've got mine here. I would, just follow with me here. I want you to see what Satan does. And I want to tell you, I'm so ticked off at some of the deception that he hems back with, how he robs people of their dignity, their life, their family, their friends. I hate it. I hate it when people get involved with demonic activity and sin and what it does to them. And we see this very clearly described for us. If we don't think there's a battle going on, look at the ruination that comes in. I say it over and over again. I just said it yesterday when one of my grandsons was over there spending the night with me and I, and I watched something and I saw the, the absolute destruction of this person that was being revealed on TV because of drugs. And I said, I hate that. I hate what has happened to that. I said, at one time, that child was held in somebody's arms and loved deeply. And now they are ruined by the lies of Satan. Well, that's another area we should stand up on, this area of drugs. But All right. Will you follow with me now in the passage? Because I'm going to go quickly on this and we'll be where we need to be. Let's look at what the scriptures says in regards to this. The power over demonic forces is really defined here for us as the first point. Now there are, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all give the accounts of what was going on as described here, and all give just a little bit of a different aspect. Look at Mark's account here. I've summarized it. Mark's account, these demons possessed people. They lived in tombs, in in the graveyards. They couldn't be held by chains. They couldn't be tamed. They cried out day and night, and they cut themselves with stones. Isn't that interesting that one of the things that's going on with young people today, I think it's still going on, and not just young people, but even others, cutting, cutting is a process, uh, that's symbolic of, of self-hate that is born of the one who really hates you. This idea that Satan loves you, get out. Luke's account was, they have been possessed for a long time. They wore no clothes, and they had many demons. Matthew's accounts, it says, it's exceedingly fierce, and no one could pass the way. Now, this is the description of what Satan does with a life when he begins to possess. This is exactly what goes on here. Uh, read it for yourself in that sense. I see that I've got time up here, but let me quickly go here. The demons, this is interesting, they recognize Jesus Christ, and they also recognize their future judgment. So (laughs) I want to say to people, us out there, it's possible to have a belief in God and even fear judgment and not know Jesus Christ redemptively. This is the demons. We see that even in James. Next point here. They were robbed of dignity They were robbed of their sanity, self-control, filled with fear, robbed of the joy of family and friends. They lost of hope and fear, and eternal damnation was before them. We also discover that the demon-possessed men and family and friends were powerless. That's the word you want to fill in there in your outline. They were powerless to change the men. You are demonic spirits are more powerful than you. No matter what means you seek to employ, they are more powerful than you. 
You know, and if I want to beseech anything, I want to beseech the name of God. And we'll see why in just a moment. Now, here's what I love about this. Jesus delivered them with the power of one word. Don't you love this? Go. I don't even think he said it was kind of mustering up some kind of authority. I think it was just as casual as when it was with Peter talking uh, to Jesus and drew out his sword. And he said, Peter, there in the Garden of Gethsemane, if it's a matter of show of force, I have the power on my side. I could call legions of angels. This is a showdown here. And I win. The whole book of Revelation is a declaration of the war that's going to come against. And the victory is the Lord's. So he is all powerful. And, he doesn't, and so why would I say anything to a demon? God, you say something, would you? <laughs> you have any, just say go, <laughs> and they go. Now, I love what uh, Mark tells us, that, and, and also Luke. James, uh, Matthew doesn't capture this. Jesus fully restored them, this, these two. They were sitting beside him, fully clothed, in their same mind, desiring to follow Jesus. I love the delivering power of God, not only to get you free from demons, but to put you right in his presence where you want to dwell and to abide. Now then there's this issue of the pigs. About 2,000 pigs that died. Now this is an interesting age in which we live where animals are my brothers. Now really... I, I, first of all, as you know, that I, 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 by God's authority and command, I am an environmentalist. I want to take care of our environment. God expects me to do that, but he does not expect me to distort the values and make my dog more important than me. And this is what they were saying. You got rid of all those 2,000 pigs now, the interesting thing is, is the people that would complain against that probably had ham and bacon for breakfast, but that's okay. That's their problem. What Jesus is saying, you got your values askewed here. These two men who have been set free is where value is, not with pigs. All right. Quickly, forgiveness. Aren't you glad? Before I go to this forgiveness, aren't you glad that your God is all-powerful? Aren't you glad that there is nothing that will ever come up against him that will stump him? And he'll think, wow, I'm in trouble here. This is greater than... Nowhere, nowhere. Now, the second thing is, aren't you glad that he forgives sins? The greatest thing you can do, you read the story here, these friends brought this paralytic lying in the bed. Mark tells us that they tore the tiles off the top and and then so they could lower him in. These were pretty good friends and uh, pretty bold too to tear off the top of somebody else's house and lower him into their presence. And uh, then the the Lord looks at him. uh, Let me just say to you, in your compassion, the best thing you can do for your friends is get them in the presence of Jesus. And that presence abides within you. Let them know of the glory of God that shines through you. Because God will do things that you never even thought about doing. They were trying to get this guy there so he could start walking. 
And Jesus was saying, if you're still filling out your outline, the one was the compassion of friends, the second point there, Jesus sees mankind's greatest need, the forgiveness of sins. It's not healing. I mean, healing is important. It can be a way to glorify God without question. But my friends, if you get healed and you're able to walk, but you don't know Jesus and you're still flooded with your sins, that has no eternal value. It has only a temporal significance to you that your headache's gone, your physical illness is gone. And we would rejoice in that. Either he gives you the sustaining grace to endure that or he sets you free. But the greatest need is for you to have your sins forgiven. Uh, Let me just conclude with one verse. Turn with me to Colossians. This is the summary of both of those. I mean, as I did with the demons, aren't you glad? Aren't you thankful that Jesus has given us such a verse as, if we confess our sins, this is to believers, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Aren't you thankful for the delivering power of God from your consequences of sin and from the fellowship that is broken and he forgives that and restores you? Colossians chapter 2. Well, where to start here on this whole thing? Let's start at verse 8. I'll read it very quickly. See to it, uh, chapter 2, Colossians. See to it that no one makes you, takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. Listen to Christ is what he's saying there. For in him all the fullness of God of the deity dwells in bodily form. And in him you have been made complete, and he is the head over all rule and authority. In him... You were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were raised up with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your trespasses, transgressions, and the uncircumcision of your heart, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven all our transgressions. That's what it's about. All our transgressions. Having, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us. You're guilty. You're guilty. You're guilty. These are the decrees. You're guilty. You're guilty. He says he canceled out all of those. Forgiven and cleansed. By which, uh, which was, uh, was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, and having nailed it to the cross, when he, had dis- when he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. That's demonic, satanic forces that he has triumphed forth. And not, look at this. He's not just simply saying, you know, let's, you know, let's be um, um, quiet and, you know, I'm so thankful that Jesus has forgiven my sins and has, has whipped the enemy. In the Roman times, when they defeated a country, they led those captured citizens in front of their army to make a public humiliation of them that they had been defeated. That's exactly 
what Jesus is doing. Please note, Jesus is saying, Satan and all of his followers are losers, and I whipped them. That's really what he's saying. I whipped them. I defeated them. 